All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm back here with Rick Bacchus, CEO of CPC Strategy, where he came on here last year to talk about PLA. So today we'll talk about a little bit about PLAs again. Uh, recently, there are some new Facebook product listing ads too. Also, Amazon sponsored products, some changes to what they offer merchants. Uh, so just a quick update on the landscape of uh, paid traffic and what's changed since uh, last year. So Rick, uh, what's going on, man? How's it going, Terry? Long time no talk. Long time no talk. Yeah, so last time you were on the show, we talked a little about PLAs, but I want to get a quick recap of, say, in the past year on a high level, what's changed kind of for paid traffic in terms of either ad budget shift or kind of new trends that you see? Yeah, so just in regards to Google Shopping, I think that the the main takeaway with Google Shopping is uh, the fact that there's a lot more search budget going towards Google Shopping and so PLAs have um, matured definitely and so there's a lot of text ad budget that's being transferred towards Google Shopping. Uh, there's just a lot of larger retailers who are investing into Google Shopping. The strategies on Google Shopping for acquiring profitable traffic are um, getting more in depth and so I, I feel like you know 18 months, two years ago you could show up on PLAs especially when it just went paid and it was relatively easy to get a consistent profitable return um, but now the market is maturing fast and it requires uh, a lot more I guess work and just higher level strategy to get a good return on Google Shopping and so yeah as a as a recap you know compared to this time last year I think CPCs are probably higher uh, I know that Google is giving a lot more exposure to Google Shopping ads they're looking for as many ways as possible to to drive traffic towards product ads. It's a, it's a unit of advertising that's been really profitable for Google. And so it's been great for them. Uh, I think that it is still a great opportunity for retailers. Any retailer should be on Google Shopping, uh, but it's definitely turned into a more competitive landscape over the last year. Gotcha, so if you look across your client base, like would you have a percentage ballpark of like how much budget they're increasing in the PLAs or how is that shifting? Yeah, so, on a broad stroke. Yeah, so it's always difficult to answer that question. I mean, we have 250 total clients and it's very dependent on their business. Um, some of their, their businesses are doing really well and they're you know huge companies that want to throw as much budget at, as Google Shopping as possible. Um, we also work with you know some medium-sized retailers who you know need an exact ROI on every advertising dollar that they in, they invest, and so there isn't really like a hard rule of thumb. I would say on average, if you look at our uh, client, you know Google Shopping budget, it's probably increasing year over year about twenty to thirty percent, um, but it's very dependent on the client. Even when it comes to you know AdWords budget. Um, some of our clients are 100% Google Shopping, 0% tech stats. We have clients who are 95% tech stats, 5% Google Shopping. Um, but that shift toward, but with budget towards Google Shopping is definitely um, happening. And in most cases, I would say that, that small to medium-sized retailers are spending more on Google Shopping and PLAs than they are on tech stats. How do you see remarketing? Because I feel like the last year or so, I just get hit with retargeting everywhere I go. Like either it's Amazon or some random e-commerce site. Anywhere, it just stalks me for like two months, and I get I get hit by this so hard. Yeah, we'll 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 stalk you too. So if you go to strategy, we're gonna be following you around. Uh, I think that that retargeting investments have um, are on the rise. Google 
definitely is you know trying to get people to to use the Google Display Network. Uh, retargeting is available through a lot of third-party platforms. I mean, AdRoll you know, absolutely blew up. Um, there's a lot of, of platforms that have put a lot of energy into improving the retargeting experience for advertisers, which in turn makes the banners more appealing to users. Uh, but I think that it's it's a concept that um, retailers just like. It's, it's, you know, the first time, I remember the first time we saw Fetchback, uh, the ads, the, the fact that you could retarget a customer at the product level is just, you know, it's, it's a very cool thing. And so retailers, I think, give retargeting a little bit more leeway when it comes to ROI. I think they understand that it's not necessarily at the bottom of the funnel in terms of conversions. And so it's it's a you know it's an awareness play a lot of times at the top of the funnel. It's uh, uh, retailers will use it to just try to lift you know lifetime value with customers. Um, but I think it's it's very dependent on the seller. Once again, if you you know retailers doing a million or less online, it's probably difficult to justify a huge budget or, or any size budget into retargeting. Um, whereas, you know, we have some clients that um, they literally don't care what the ROI is with retargeting. They just use it strictly for awareness. And so, yeah, that market is maturing fast. And it does seem to me like retailers are, are more likely to, to not have a strict ROI goal when it comes to retargeting because they get the concept that it is increasing brand awareness and they understand that it's not necessarily a, a bottom of the funnel tactic yeah, and there's also the thing where like they say in sales books where like you need seven impressions for someone to remember you too right that's a concept that we all like right you know we we put a lot of energy into we actually just launched cbcstrategy.com um, our website redesign process it took us three months plus of working on it really consistently and we put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into the redesign, and it's hard to build a brand. And so anything that you can do to reinforce that brand message, I think is something that intrinsically um, all business owners like. Um, and so obviously, you know, you, you put a lot of energy into your podcasts, and I think you've done 140 plus over the years. Um, you want to do everything that you can to reinforce who you are and who your brand is. And so retargeting is just another avenue to do that. Yeah, I noticed your site. It just launched this week, right? I was looking at it, I think, yesterday. And I was like, wow, it's a new yep. clean layout. Yeah, it launched. doesn't look like a WordPress site anymore. It looks <laughs> That was the goal. It launched on on Tuesday. It was definitely, uh, we did some soul searching. You know, we, we started the company eight years ago and we come from a background, more of like an affiliate background where everything is about direct conversions. Um, but we we actually get most of our our leads come through our blog, and so we are treating cbcstrategy.com more as our office to kind of showcase the brand. And but it was difficult accepting that you might be sacrificing some conversion on your site to improve the brand experience. But we felt like it was it was time to make the leap. Yeah. So with all these new options, is it still doable for like say? A smaller merchant solopreneur or is this kind of like agency work where you need to outsource it to someone else to manage this more complicated stuff? I think it really depends on your products and so it, it I've definitely noticed a shift in the market over you know we founded CPC strategy eight years ago two three years ago it seemed like it was a lot easier for resellers and so if you know we had clients who would go from zero to five million in their first year selling 30,000 SKUs in kind of random categories. 
And it's, it seems like just across the board, you know, I think Amazon's played a, a large role in this, uh, but across the board in e-commerce, it's a lot more competitive. It's a lot more difficult to stand out and to differentiate your site experience or, um, you know, differentiate your brand experience from the rest of the market. And so it seems to me now that the, the you know, solopreneurs who are actually maturing their business, it's more around building a brand specific to a smaller product line and getting some traction around a smaller product line as opposed to just, you know, we're going to launch tomorrow with 15,000 SKUs um, where we really have no competitive differentiators with any of those SKUs. Yeah, I think that uh, we, I knew like one or two people who did that. And I think it was basically just like an arbitrage with the PLAs or retargeting because it was so cheap. And then now as it matures, you're getting squeezed in the middle, basically. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's the same effect that has led to a decline with the comparison shopping engines. I, I used to work at Price Grabber and eight, nine years ago, Price Grabber and Shopzilla and Shopping.com, Nixtag, those channels were, were hot. They were making a ton of money. They all got acquired. Um, but it was really just arbitrage and they didn't innovate very much. They didn't really improve the customer experience over the last eight, nine years. And so eventually that, that arbitrage opportunity runs out and the industry as a whole is, is kind of dying off because of that. Exactly. And I think consumers are getting smarter too. They can access the info they need kind of on their own or through Google shopping or whatever, Facebook, all that stuff, social reviews. Agreed. Agreed. And I think it's, if, if you can't improve the customer experience on your site and that same product is available on Amazon, it becomes very difficult to actually earn the customer's business. And so if you're selling commodity products, right, um, and you have toilet paper, it's really going to be hard for you to create a site experience that's so much better than Amazon that people want to buy toilet paper off of your site instead of Amazon. And so I, I think that you know commodity products are getting much more difficult to sell as a reseller. And so there's definitely been more of an emphasis on creating unique site experiences around unique SKUs and building individual brands as opposed to just launching with 30,000 SKUs and trying to, to make money off arbitrage. Yeah, like we have some friends doing really well where they own the product and they're selling on Amazon as a sales channel rather than as a competitor. And it makes a lot more sense going it that way than trying to resell the same thing that 10 people, other people are selling too, trying to get the buy box there. Yeah, no, it, it's hard. That's the thing. I feel like it used to be you know, arbitrage is relatively easy. You know, you launch a you you launch a, a Shopify store, you launch a on Magento Go, you get a huge, you know, 15 20,000 products, you upload those products, you pay for low CPC some Google Shopping and you start making money the next day. Um, but to build a brand, it's 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 difficult and it takes time. Yeah, you need to build a product too. It's like it, it takes a long time. Like it's funny you talk about arbitrage. I used to do that when I was in college. Uh, I would buy used textbooks from my school library and then resell it on Amazon. So from so like chemistry textbooks, physics textbooks, those used to go for, you know, $30, $40 plus the used price I'd buy in the foreign. It was great side money. And it was just arbitrage too, because after a while they had new textbooks and I had all this inventory I couldn't get rid of too. But I mean, that, that it was fun while it lasted, I guess, for an arbitrage game. That's internet marketing for you. Like we, every year we have to, to adjust because you know the rest of the world learns tactics pretty quickly and so ideally you create something that is lasting and so that you, your competitive differentiator 
doesn't change from year to year. Let's move on into Facebook a little bit. So Facebook, I feel like this platform has matured a lot in the past two or three years. Like I think, feel like when it first came out, no one really paid attention to it until they realized like the conversion pixel, the targeting pixel, and all the different stuff you can do within the platform, dark posts, things like that, where people start realizing, like, hey, this is actually something legit we should pay attention to. Yeah, so, so Facebook is in a very interesting place right now. We, we view it as, as a great opportunity for retailers, but it definitely lives at a different place in the funnel relative to Amazon or, or Google Shopping. The beauty of Facebook is that they have more information on your users and, and your audience than any other platform. And so the, the targeting options are pretty insane. Um, you can very specifically target people who fall into your target market. And so if you know the characteristics of your target market, there's really no better platform for advertising than Facebook. The challenge is that the behavior isn't there yet. And so even, you know, Facebook is launching the ability to upload a product data feed and have these multi-product units within Facebook where a user can scroll horizontally and see five of your products within one sponsored ad, um, which the ads look beautiful, the targeting is amazing, but people just, for the most part, don't go on Facebook to shop. And so I think that that's what Facebook is, is trying to do you know, over the next six months to a year. And, and they're pretty good at it when they make up their mind that they want to change user behavior. Um, but I think they're trying to get people used to clicking on those ads and being okay with, with clicking on the ad and then potentially leaving Facebook to make a purchase. Um, but until that behavior changes, I think that Facebook will continue to be, uh, will continue to have a lot of like advertising potential, but it'll be difficult to, you know, actually scale your sales through Facebook. It'll still be more of an awareness channel. Or if you have a viral product, then there's no better place for Facebook. But for the rest of e-commerce that doesn't have a product that's just viral by nature, um, it probably is going to take a while till it's a really profitable sales channel. Um, in the short term, I, I think it still is about kind of Facebook trying to change that user behavior. Yeah, I was thinking about this before the call. And like as much as you see ads now, like we, it's easy to get excited about new features. But it's like if people aren't even, you know, clicking stuff on Facebook and they hate ads, well, how relevant is it really for like a merchant to? Yeah, and it feels, it feels weird to click on an ad in Facebook and to leave Facebook when, when we're when we're on Facebook, we're kind of contained in that ecosystem. And so there, there are options to make purchases directly on a retailer's Facebook page. Um, but even that, I mean, we have a lot of clients who have Facebook pages set up and they're just, the, the users aren't transacting. And so the behavior has to change, which is almost the complete opposite of, of Amazon where you know, I think it's like 39% of product-related searches start on Amazon, and their advertising options are pretty atrocious. If you look at like sponsored products, um, that's a relatively new product for Amazon, and they're, you know, it, it looks like Google AdWords did eight or nine years ago. And so Facebook has all this beautiful customer data. Amazon has all of the actual users and the intent of people who want to shop um, and it's it's weird. It's like their both of their their strengths 
um, are the other one's weakness, and then Google kind of sits somewhere in between. And so there's definitely like a retail war with all three of them, and they all have like strengths and, and weaknesses. And I think right now it's pretty clear that Amazon is winning, um, but Facebook is a, an interesting long-term threat because they know so much about us. Yeah, I feel like Amazon and Google, you know when you're buying something, you go to either one of those, like you either search for something or you go to Amazon search. But I feel like Facebook, as a company, they need to make ad revenue too, but how do they keep that experience for the user yeah. without being too intrusive? It's like the weird spot they got to figure out too. So. It's a really it's a really weird spot, and, and both Facebook and Google know how profitable retail advertising is. I mean, Google Shopping has been wildly successful for Google's ad revenues, and it's been great for their stock. And so Facebook sees that, they, they want to get some of, of that advertising revenue. And if you're able to fulfill retail demand, there's a ton of money in it. But changing user behavior on a social platform is extremely difficult. And, and even Pinterest. Pinterest is a, is a platform that retail is you know, more of a logical part of the platform. If you go on Pinterest, you're oftentimes pinning things that you want to buy. Um, where Facebook is, is, it's just not something we're really thinking about when we're when we're on Facebook. Yeah. So speaking of Amazon, uh, they also had some recent uh, changes too, right? So actually, I don't know Amazon that well. I know they released the search data for uh, emergency use. So what impact does this have? Yeah. So so Amazon search data has always been kind of like the holy grail. I mean, they, they've protected it, and like Google uh, over the years, and and Facebook is doing this now. Um, a lot of times that that search, the, the keyword data is is revealed because of advertising, right? And so it's in Amazon's best interest to not share keyword level data so that you know, you know how certain terms or the search volume around certain keywords. Um, but to advertise effectively, it does help to know the search volume on a keyword basis. And so Amazon really has never you know, given away any search volume until recently. Um, the, and I, I think most people still really aren't aware of this because it, it's happened so recently. Um, but Amazon sponsored products, you used to have to do manual campaigns. And so you would, if you wanted to target 500 keywords, you would have to create a manual campaign and manually put in all 500 keywords and set a CPC for all 500 of those keywords, which is, you know, completely the opposite, completely the opposite of AdWords where you can do broad match. And so think of exact match on AdWords as the only option that used to exist on sponsored products. Um, they then, I think it's been about four months now, they switched to a, a kind of catch-all bucket called um, auto, an automatic targeting group. And so you can just say, I'm a retailer on Amazon. I don't know what keywords I want to bid on, but I want to bid on um, my entire campaign at 35 cents per click. And you'll start to get clicks um, once you get into the auction, and they'll share with you the search terms that users are using to find your products on sponsored products. And so if you're spending, you know, let's say you're spending $1,000 a month or $2,000 a month on sponsored products, you're now gonna get search term data that's specific to Amazon, which is allowing you to not just go to Google um, keyword tool, not just estimate search volume on Amazon and, and make your best guess. You can see, you know, what users are actually searching to find your products. And so um, it's a, 
kind of an undiscovered opportunity for most uh, Amazon advertisers. And it allows you to use those automatic campaigns um, to harvest the keywords and the search terms that um, Amazon users are actually entering into Amazon to find your products. Because you can use those keywords in like your SEO or AdWords to just port that into somewhere else. You can use, yeah. I mean, you can use them off of Amazon. It's just telling you, you know, if Amazon is on, on a very basic level, if Amazon is the number one destination for retail searches, right? So 39% of people are starting their their product related searches on Amazon. And now Amazon is showing you exactly what people are searching within your product category. There's a lot of value in those those keywords. Essentially, you know, that's the source, the best source of information on retail. Now you can see what people are searching to find your products. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of on Amazon strategies in terms of including those keywords in your titles and your bullet points and your description. Then you can set up a a sponsored product campaign to target that specific keyword. Um, But there's also a lot of value in that information off of Amazon and your general uh, e-commerce sites SEO strategy or on Facebook with your targeting on Facebook. There's a lot of, of there's a lot of options once you know how people are finding your products and the fact that Amazon is now releasing some of that keyword information is actually a pretty big deal. Yeah, because then you know which ones to prioritize and which ones to not to rather than just you know throwing them all at the wall if there's 200 keywords. Exactly, and, and we've had clients come to us who say, you know, I don't want to, you know, I don't, I'm okay with a two to one return on my $10,000 a month advertising budget because I want to get the keyword data. After I get the keyword data, I want to ramp down on my budget. Um, but it's a great way of you know seeing what people are doing to to find your products on Amazon. And then once you have that keyword data, it's up to you if you want to continue investing into sponsored products or if you want to use the keyword data for your SEO um, efforts outside of Amazon. But there's a lot of value in just having those keywords. Yeah, it's just like any paid traffic campaign where you kind of just start out with certain groups and then you narrow it down after losing some money or a lot and then you figure it out. Right? Yeah. No, bro- I mean, broad match on, on Google over the years has been an extremely valuable way to figure out what keywords are driving volume. Um, for most people, they can't just keep investing in, in broad match and increase their broad match budget year over year because they would go broke. But it's a great like foundational technique to harvest those keywords and then get a lot more specific with your targeting. Yeah, gotcha. All right, so to wrap things up, what do you see things changing this year? I mean, we're we're already in what three months now. Anything you see changing for the rest of 2015? Yeah, I, I think that you know the way that I, that I look at the opportunities, and it, it's up to an individual retailer to figure out which channel makes the most sense for them. Um, but Google is great at advertising and they're trying to get better at retail. And so Google is, you know, there's a, I think a a New York Times article that has a screenshot of a Google buy now button. And there's been speculation over the last 18 months about a Google marketplace. Um, If Google does have a marketplace, then it's going to require them to figure out a lot of stuff that they're not good at, that Amazon's good at regarding, you know, customer service. How do the, if someone checks out on Google, how do they enforce the seller, uh, quality seller customer service? How do they enforce fulfillment? You know, fulfillment by Amazon is an amazing program that Google would have to try to somewhat replicate if they have their own marketplace. And so I think Google is, is currently great at 
advertising, but as they grow um, their retail presence, they're going to have to try to figure out some of the behind the scenes stuff like customer service and fulfillment if they want to actually be a threat to Amazon. Um, Amazon is obviously the destination where a lot of customers are starting their retail searches, but like I said, their advertising products are are pretty pathetic relative to Google and Facebook. There's not a lot of targeting options. Um, it's you know it looks like AdWords did seven or eight years ago in terms of the functionality and the UI of their advertising units, and so that's an area that they're trying to get a lot better at. Um, and then Facebook has all the audience data in the world, um, but no one is going on Facebook to shop. Um, and so I think that they're all pretty uniquely positioned. I think that their goals are relatively clear for all three of them. Um, and I think depending on the uniqueness of your products, um, you have to determine which channel is going to be the best option for you. And so a, a very basic synopsis is if you have a very unique product, um, Facebook is probably a, a great place for you to, to get a lot of attention to your small number of products. Um, if you have a ton of SKUs, then Amazon is probably uh, the best option for you just to do volume. And then Google um, Shopping specifically and text ads, they kind of sit in between both of those options where, you know, realistically all three of them should be part of your strategy, but how much you invest into each channel is dependent on the type of products you have. A couple of years ago, you could look at each platform as its own silo, but now everything gets more integrated in the sense that what you said, like you got to choose one that works for you, but it's also some synergies by being on all three. Like when you have that Amazon search data, you can use it for your AdWords, SEO, or use it for your Facebook targeting too. And you can no longer just kind of treat them as their own things now. You know, Facebook, for instance, if you just look at the value of the channel in terms of how many sales it drives, it's gonna probably suck for most retailers in 2015. It's not gonna drive a ton of revenue. But if you're using Facebook to harvest information about your target audience, and you're using that information on Amazon and Google to match your products with your customer intent, um, Facebook is extremely valuable. And so you're exactly right. If you just think of each sales channel in its own silo, you're not going to be able to best leverage the strengths that each one of them have. Uh, and so ideally, you would be thinking about your you know, total portfolio and get the audience data from Facebook to, to try to grow your sales on Google Shopping and Amazon. Use the Amazon search data to grow your organic traffic on Google. Um, and so yeah, there, there are a lot of synergies if you try to come up with a strategy that is growing your sales as a whole. But if you just look at each channel um, as an individual, in its individual silo, then it, you're going to lose a lot of, of opportunity to create value from using all three together. Yeah, and I guess the overall trend is that like, you can no longer just have a vanilla store with one strategy and just milk it because there's all these different tools you can use. And like, I think consumers are just getting smarter too with all on all these platforms and different contexts of targeting them. I think I think consumers are getting smarter, and and I just did. You know, I'm I'm 33 years old. And I, I host or I was a mentor for a student entrepreneur competition and mentored like three e-commerce students in college. And they've already launched e-commerce stores that look better and are more functional than a lot of our clients who are doing 100 million a year plus. And so those, those kids are coming. They're extremely tech savvy. They understand how Facebook works. Um, this you know, one kid showed me a tool called Instagress 
which automates his uh, Instagram account and he has more Instagram activity on his account than a lot of $100 million plus retailers. And so they're extremely tech savvy. They know what they're doing. And that I think um, along with consumers getting more savvy is making e-commerce a hell of a lot more competitive than it was before. Yeah, because you look at the guys in those big companies that are probably what, 40s, maybe 50s, grew up without the internet and they're just throwing money at this, hoping someone can figure it out. Yeah, and, and I've, you know, I've witnessed our clients who've gone out of business who have this short-sighted mentality where you know, we had clients who for five years said, I need a 10 to one return on every sales channel. And eventually, there were no longer sales channels that were getting them a 10 to one return. And there wasn't much thought being put into, you know, multi-channel attribution and customer lifetime value. And if your mentality is, you know, I need X to one return, and if I don't get that, then I don't want to invest in that sales channel, you're eventually gonna run out of sales channels to invest into. Um, And so I think that, you know, you do have to have an approach that is a lot more thoughtful you do need to understand how people are going to come back to your store and make repeat purchases. You do need to have some idea of what your customer lifetime value is. Um, and if you can't figure those metrics out, um, we call it bro science. You're just going to keep kind of guessing your way through things. And the data-driven e-commerce stores are, are eventually going to outsmart you because they're making wiser decisions based off of data and not their gut. Yeah, because you don't have a lifetime value number. You really your cost of acquisition, you don't really know that. So you're just throwing stuff at the wall and playing in the dark, basically. You're just guessing and you and you can guess for, you know, as long as, as the arbitrage opportunity exists, but to overcome a world where arbitrage is not the only way to succeed, you do need to know your customer lifetime value. You do need to know how a Facebook-like affects the likelihood of a purchase in the future. And it's, it's complicated. Um, the way that all these channels work together, I mean, you're, you're an extremely smart guy. You've been, you've been in this industry for years. And you know, t- today we talked about retargeting and, and Facebook and Amazon and Google and how much has changed just in the last year. And so to be able to look at all of that chaos and make some sense out of it and make you know, wise decisions with your investments, it's, it's not easy. Um, and the game has definitely changed in e-commerce over the last, you know, three to five years. Yeah, and I feel like that there's a paradigm shift too, where like, say the older guys who grew up without the internet, like they're used to just buying ad space, whatever TV ads, kind of like an older paradigm. Whereas now, like I think our generation, like I'm 31, like we kind of know how the internet's a little bit different. But I feel like the younger kids really get the social stuff much better, even than us too. Like Snapchat, like I don't get that. Instagram, a lot of them are better than me. I was, I was, I was mentoring these students and it like, it literally turned into me picking their brains for an hour and tell, Oh, your presentation is great. Like, you you know, you're doing a great job. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's amazing. And, And that's, you know, they're in college. There's high school kids that are starting e-commerce businesses that are dominating. And so, yeah, it's a, it's definitely changing quick. Yeah, like I feel like our generation was the one to f- have social media, but we had to figure out like the do's and don'ts where these kids are growing up and they know exactly what you can do, what you can do, you know, how to not be a jackass and to like hit people at the right time. Yeah. Like, how, to stir, how to stir people up too, I guess. Yeah, no, there's a, there's a whole new wave. Like I feel like seeing the way that that they're using like Instagram and Facebook is just like it's a totally different world than the way that you know I'm using it with with my peers and like I said I'm 33 I'm not 
I'm not a senior citizen, but yeah, but we're, we're not we're it, not that it, uh, old. Yeah, I mean we're still pretty young. <laughs> but we feel I kind of get that feeling like we're gonna be dinosaurs soon if we don't catch up in like five years or something like that. That's what I feel like, and your mentality has to just be um, to to learn. And as long as is your goal is to learn, there's a lot of things that that we can learn from the C level executives who are you know in their 50s and 60s and 70s there's there's a ton of stuff that we can learn from them about how to run a business and with you know these college kids and high school kids who are extremely social media savvy there's obviously a lot that we can learn from them too and so i think the only way to stay present with your skill set and not kind of get left behind is just to have that mentality that day in and day out you you have to be learning otherwise you're going to get left behind yeah kind of on the side even my friend here who does coding he does like Python coding and he hasn't done it in like two years. And I guess a lot has changed there too. So, Oh, it, cha- it changes so fast. And so, yeah, you, your, your skill set could be a six figure skill set today and obsolete next year. Um, and it, yeah, it's, it's just a, it's a different, different world that we live in these days. Yeah. Awesome. All right, Rick. Well, thanks for joining us. So we'll catch up with you again soon, uh, hopefully before next year to talk about some more paid ads and thanks for joining us and keep in touch. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Terry. We'll just do an interview every year, apparently. Yeah, exactly. So it's actually a fun chat, though, to have some perspective from last year. This will be like an anchor for next year, too. So. Yeah, I like it. I like it. We'll, we'll chat soon. Hope it falls yeah, well. Exactly. All right. Take care, Rick. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store podcast. If you want the show notes, make sure to check out the website at buildmyonlinestore.com. If you've got an e-commerce store, every two weeks I lead a live mastermind call with about five or six of the listeners in two separate groups where we work openly together and solve a business problem that you have. And we're all there to support each other. So if it sounds like a cup of tea, make sure to check us out at buildmyonlinestore.com slash mastermind. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch up with you guys next week.